Well, let's get started in the Word this morning. If you want to open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5, we'll read a few verses here, um, kind of pick and choose some throughout the chapter, and then we'll pray and get started. If you need a Bible, you can uh, raise your hand and one of the ushers will bring it to you. Um, so, chapter 5, verse 1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you, if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. And you have become estranged from Christ. You who attempted to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. For we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. And let's jump down to um, uh, verse 13. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. I say then, walk in the spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you, led, if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. And then down in verse 24, And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we're humbled by these verses, Lord, because we know, Lord, um, uh, we don't always walk in the Spirit, Lord. And, uh, Lord, we sometimes we, we're controlled by our old natures. Um, and we, we struggle and we battle, uh, but uh, thank you that there's the grace that you've given us. And uh, Lord, we pray as we, uh, that we walk in that freedom that you've uh, allotted to us, the freedom you've called us to. And uh, Lord, the freedom from the, the strictness of the law and the freedom uh, to be free from the power of sin, Lord. And we pray that you would uh, open our eyes and understanding in our Lord, our, the depths of our understanding will go deep uh, in Christ and who Christ is and what he's done for us at the cross and uh, just, just what it means, Lord, and that we need to be reminded of these things, Lord. Sometimes it's, uh, we can read them and it's, it, it's like, oh, yeah, I've read that before or I, I've thought about that a lot before, and yet we need to be constantly reminded of these things, Lord, um, lest some way we slip. Uh, so please, by your Holy Spirit, draw uh, truth and meaning here. And Lord, um, we live in a day and age where uh, those who live in the world, Lord, they just, they're controlled by their fleshly natures, Lord. They're controlled by the, the desires of the flesh to fulfill them, Lord. And uh, we are so susceptible to that. And we don't want to have a holier-than-thou mentality, but we want to have uh, an attitude of love towards these individuals and and even towards one another here in the body, we want love one for another, Lord. And help us, Lord, teach us your ways, the way that you walked on this earth, the way that you uh, interacted with people. And 
how you treated them and how you treated them as a neighbor and not as a, um, a stepping stone to one's own objectives, Lord. But uh, you, you, you reached out to people who were the castaways, uh, Lord, the people no one cared about, the Zacchaeuses of society, Lord, and you showed them your love, Lord. And we, we just need, we need more of that in our lives, Lord, the love for one another. And we ask you to do that in our hearts and lives. And, and we thank you for this place. We thank you for the freedom you've given us. Um, and, and, Lord, the freedom to assemble together, the freedom to, uh, Lord, express religion in the sense of, uh, Lord, our faith, to gather together, and, and Lord, in this nation. And, uh, Lord, help us to uphold those values that we've come to know. In Jesus' name, amen. So freedom is a pretty uh, important attribute in our society or, you know, thing that we value. Probably one of the most important, if not the most important thing that we value as a society. Uh, the freedoms and liberties we have as a nation. And we believe that our nation was founded on these principles of freedom. You know, you think of the Bill of Rights, the ability to assemble together when we want to, the ability to express our religion, as I was just praying or the freedom of speech to express our ideas that we have. And uh, everyone thinks of that as important, and uh, we uphold those things, and we don't want those things to change, right? We want to keep those things. Um, now, it's interesting, though, that, you know, a couple hundred years ago that we found the society on this, but not all the people that were in this society were free, right? There was bondage in the midst of the society. We know slavery existed. And that, that um, contradiction, the hypocrisy that the nation had in the early times was pretty evident. Um, and it created a, uh, a real uh, dissatisfaction in both the slaves, uh, the northern African Americans, and then also the abolitionists, those that wanted to see the, slaveries, the slave, slaves made free. <coughs> and... Um, you know, there was that blatant hypocrisy. It was, it's like you look at and you read about slavery, and every one of us has been educated growing up, and, you know, if you went to public school or Catholic school or whatever, you, you learn about our history as a nation, and this is brought out quite a bit, and you see the injustice of it. And it's a good thing that we learn, you know, from the mistakes because these things come back, you know, even though... We see ourselves as a modern society. Um, part of the reason they don't come back is because we, we educate ourselves and, and see. But at the time, it was just such a contradiction. You know, it was such a, that this slavery would exist in the midst of such uh, supposed freedom, right? That we were, we were trying to be free from the religion and the pressure of the British Empire. But at the same time, we were oppressing some of the people that lived here, right? And, you know, there was a great, uh, you know, the slaves at the time, they had a strong connection with the Lord. They, they knew the Lord, many of them. And, you know, they saw themselves in a sort of a similar vein to, um, you know, the, the, the Israelites of Exodus, right? So they sort of paralleled themselves with that, uh, that idea that the Jews had been slaves in Egypt, and that God wanted to deliver them. 
<clears throat> and and when in Exodus chapter 2, verse 24, it says that God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that, they, that God heard the groaning of his people as slaves and he wanted to set them free, right? And so he raised up Moses to do, to be that deliverer to the children of Israel. And, you know, even in the midst of the, the bondage of the slaves of America, they cried out to the Lord. Um, and that principle, though, of God taking his people, the Jews, out of the nation of Egypt and bringing them into the promised land is such a clear example of something greater, even greater than the fact that you would be brought out from the slavery of, you know, the society that you live in, where you're, you have less values than the, the masters that you have, right? That you're, you're sort of subject to them and under this coercion, this great pressure to do what they want and not what you want. And so you're in this bondage and then you're brought out. That principle is the very principle of, of being born again, right? That you're brought out of the old life and brought into the new life. And <clears throat> we're to labor, it says in Hebrews, to be uh, brought into the promised land. There's a greater promised land that the, the scriptures speak of, this rest that we're to labor to go be brought into. Uh, as it says in Hebrews ch chapter 4, verse 11, let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. And so we're to be free of the bondage of that old life, the bondage of the law and the bondage of sin. And so we come to this book of Galatians, which is a little different than Hebrews. Hebrews speaks to the Jews, whereas the letter to the Galatians were Gentiles who had been influenced by the Jews. You know, initially they were, um, they were led to the Lord through Paul's ministry. Paul, in Acts chapter 16, after they had left Lystra and Iconium, they came to that region of Asia Minor where Galatia was, and it says that they preached there, that they had gone throughout Phrygia. This is Acts chapter 16, verse 6. Phrygia and the region of Galatia, and they were forbidden of the Holy goes to preach the word in Asia. Um, so, you know, God prevented them to go into, you know, further into Asia, and they stayed there in that Asia Minor area in Turkey today, present-day Turkey. And it's interesting because Galatia was an area where um, they worshipped this god called, I don't, I'm not sure how to pronounce this, Agtistus. And it was like the mother of the gods. And there was this, all the, the Greek literature kind of points to it as like this wild and crazy goddess, right? And the people sort of had that same attitude because there was a cult of worship for this, and they sort of became like that. And yet then Paul comes in and preaches the gospel, and they believed. Um, but even their own writers talked about them and called them foolish because of this wild and crazy attitude that they had. They called them foolish. And so when you read Paul, Paul says later, or earlier in Galatians chapter 3, he said, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? That term foolish is, seen, is pretty strong, right? Um, and yet they knew it's almost like it kind of a wake up, a snap out of it. Like this is what Galatians were known for, for being foolish. But you were brought out of that. And yet now, 
they were now bewitched or it's kind of like brought under a spell and the spell was going back you've got to be circumcised you've got to go back and be a basically become a Jew and follow the dictates of the law so after Paul left Galatia you know the Jews constantly followed them and they claimed these Jews claimed to be from Jerusalem and Paul doesn't name exactly who they were but we know from the pattern of Acts that there were Jews that constantly followed where he went and tried to stir up afterwards and bring false teaching and after Paul left to draw people astray and it was the enemy at work and it was to bring the people that Paul taught back into the law of Moses and so Paul now hears about it and he writes this letter to kind of wake him up and shake him out of it. And it's a real clear picture of how the law can never really bring us in to the righteousness which is by faith. It, it just, it falls short. And it's a, the Bible, it says in the chapter 4 that it's a schoolmaster. It's, it's supposed to be a, a, like a tutor that kind of teaches you about uh, and prepares you for the truth, right? For the truth to come in. And so the law of Moses it could never perfect you. Um, so as we read here in this first part, he says, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made you free. And, you know, Paul, I think he had such a strong understanding of this, having come from the background that he had as a Pharisee, the Pharisee of Pharisees. He had such a background where he knew what it was like to be under that law, and to be under the bondage of it, and outwardly being perfect, yet inwardly seeing nothing but falling short. Um, and, you know, in, in Romans chapter 7, one of the things Paul mentioned in his struggle, he mentioned, he kind of referred back to the time before he was saved, and he said, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. And for Paul, it was this, this, you know, outwardly, everyone thought he was perfect. But inwardly, he knew he coveted. And he fell short of the law. And if it wasn't for the law, he would not have known that. He would not have had that truth to see clearly that in the inward he failed. Um, and that's what the law was that standard by which we were to be measured. And so that's always an important thing to remember. The law can never perfect us. It just, it's the standard, this measuring rod of the perfect, of what, and only Christ lived that perfect life. So to go back to it and to live in it, you have to be then measured by it. Um, and I don't think, you know, as for us as Christians, you know, we don't, we don't always fall under the trap, per se, of going back to the Jewish religion. But we, we do fall under the trap of some, sort of a subset of that, which is we measure ourselves by this Christian standard of what we ought to be, right? And, and we measure it against one another, right? So we see one another and we, we project ourselves and we think, oh, we're doing pretty good, instead of really seeing Christ who is the true representation of what we ought to be. And then in brokenness, as we're going to see, by the Spirit being able to live that life that he wants us to live. 
And so they wanted to go back to cir the circumcision, the, the, or those teaching them told them you had to be circumcised. And, and then Paul says, if you do that, you're going to be measured by everything that the law represents. And what happens is you just, you're just going to find something in the law that you fall short with, whether it's internally, like Paul said, thou shalt not covet, or whether it's even the blatant external stuff that everyone knows about, you're just going to fall short. And Jesus, you know, the, the, the incredible thing with Jesus was that he not only did the external, he did all of it. He fulfilled all the law that he was supposed to live, but he did the internal too. You know, like, and he pointed it out to other people. You know, when he taught the Beatitudes, it's like, and he taught the, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 and 6 and 7. What you see is the real measure of the law. It's like, you know, if you murder in your heart, then, or if, you've, if you have anger towards your brother in your heart, then you've murdered them in your heart. Or if you lust after a woman in your heart, maybe you haven't committed outward adultery, but you are measured against that internally. Like you've already committed adultery in your heart. And so that corrupt nature, Jesus pointed that out to us as, as well. So that, that perfect standard that Jesus abided by, it just showed who God was. And it wasn't like this effort for him. It's just who he was. And he was good. He loved his neighbor. He loved his father. He just did those things that pleased the father. And it was just who he was. Whereas for us, we have this old nature. We have this body of sin that, that binds us and, and traps us. And it's, it, it can cause us to be in bondage. But it says here in verse 5 that we, through the Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. Um, so although we can't be perfected um, by the law, we can't be perfected by the outward stuff that we do, we still hope through the Spirit the righteousness which is by faith. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor arm circumcision avails anything but faith working through love. And you see there hope, faith, hope, and love all bound up there in those two verses. That they're in us in what we do and how we live. It's got to be done if we want to live a life of righteousness. It's got to be done through faith. And there's a hope in it. There's a hope of that will become something that we're not. Right? Without the hope you know, we give up, and we just stay in our sin. But with the hope that we have, there's a hope that Jesus can set us free, right? And, you know, it kind of brings us back, um, kind of brings us back to that example that I was given with slavery. It's like, um, you know, the slavery went on for a long time, after, even after the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, for like almost 100 years. Um, and, you know, Lincoln, he ran on an anti-slavery platform, right? That's one of the reasons that he got elected. And there were a lot of people in the North that supported that. There were a lot of churches that took a stand against slavery, and, that, and they were willing to put all their resources on the line, whether it's their money or their energies or even their lives and fight 
for the nation, you know, for the sake of abolishing slavery. <clears throat> um, and you can read about it. You can find these old articles that get scanned and they stick them on the internet. You can read the statements of churches and pastors as they collectively got together and made these statements uh, like that. But Lincoln kind of changed his tone after the South seceded, uh, and I think it was for political reasons, where he was saying, you know, we're not going to war because of slavery. We're going to war to keep the Union, right? And I'm sure that was part of it, uh, but I think he was trying to kind of smooth things over so that the South wouldn't secede. Um, but yet he ran on an anti-slavery platform, and that's the very reason the South did secede, because they were afraid that they would lose that what they saw as their sovereign right to have slaves. They didn't want the government interfering with that. But the, the contradiction was you can't have freedom yourself upheld by the government if everyone doesn't get that freedom, right? Um, that's the contradiction. That's the hypocrisy that happened during that time. <clears throat> um, and so that's what many abolitionists would point out. It was just so obvious, yet that's what in the South, if you were an owner of slaves, you would say, what does the government have the right to interfere with my life, right? <clears throat> um, and, you know, so, but for the slaves who were in bondage, you know, when uh, eventually Lincoln saw an opportunity that he, he proclaimed the Emancipation Proclamation and the slaves were set free during the war, right? And I think, you know, you probably had slaves, so you know this, you had slaves that were probably like, praise God, you know, or, or they, they saw it as such a great boon for them. The people that were in the real hard bondage, right, they, they would do anything to be free. And in fact, they tried to be free even at the cost of their own lives, whether it was the dangers of roaming in the wilderness without any resources and just your own body and clothes on your back and hoping to kind of hit the Underground Railroad and, and help, get help, or whether it was someone, you know, who was stuck there and couldn't do it, couldn't leave, and they were just so glad to be set free. But I'm sure there were other people not realizing, you know, having it pretty good, honestly, in slavery, where their masters, masters treated them pretty good, but they were still slaves. And they didn't know what it meant to be free. And it was probably some despair, too, you know, to be in this place where you're set free. And now what do you do? Where do you go? You have nothing, right? Um, and yet, the people who were under the cruel, cruel slavery would look at those people and they'd say, at least you're free, right? <clears throat> and um, there's such a parallel there, right? Because it's like, what are you going to do then? Go back to being a slave? And it wasn't going to be easy because then they had to deal with the Jim Crow laws. They had to deal with all the challenges then that would face them growing up or, you know, living in a society, it would be really like a wilderness, you know. It would be like a wilderness of now you're free, but what are you going to do now? Go back? Yet, as Christians, that's oftentimes what we want to do. We want to go back. And, he's say, and Paul's saying here, don't be entangled again to that yoke of bondage. Don't go back to that way. <clears throat> And, he's, and he says it's by the Spirit that we await hope of righteousness by faith. It's, it, and the Bible says in um, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 at the end there, it's that 
Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. And, and then it says, let me read it to you. In chapter 3, it says, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as a mirror in the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord, that this veil has been taken away, and now we can see Christ clearly by his Spirit. The Bible says that the Spirit leads us into all truth, and it's his job to reveal to us who Christ is. And that as we see Christ unveiled in his glory, we become transformed into his image. And that's the whole idea of faith working by love, that, that suddenly we see who he is, we want to be like him, and the Spirit is going to teach us how to live a life that pleases him. And we then obey him out of love for him because he's so glorious and so awesome and that he was willing to die for us. And so he moves on here, and Paul moves on, and he says, you ran well, who hindered you from obeying the truth? In verse 7, this persuasion does not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. And then he, he, he says later on, verse 12, he says, I could wish that those who trouble you would even be cut off themselves. And so there were these individuals, I had mentioned them earlier, uh, these Judaizers, these people who had pursued Paul, and followed them and brought in this false teaching afterward that you had to be circumcised. And Paul saw them, and he's like, these guys are bringing in this false, false teaching, this, he called it bewitching. Um, and he said earlier that if, if there's someone who brings them, uh, brings any other gospel, right, any other gospel than the message that I preach to you, let them be accursed or anathema or, you know, cast away, cast off. And, and, and that's a pretty harsh thing. And I think there is a harsh. So anytime that someone is trying to, in the, under the auspices of trying to bring the truth to you and it's leading astray um, the gospel, you away from the gospel, that you can only be saved through this Christ plus this, that person is a false teacher, right? And uh, so... That's the danger. I mean, we see the cults today, and you can, you can engage with them in your own home, <laughs> in the comforts of your own home if you would like to. They come, you know, they come to your, your home every so often, and uh, unfortunately, and they preach. What do they preach? They preach, and it sounds so good, right? But when you get into the root of it, it's Christ plus something else, right? It's Christ plus you must be baptized in the X, X as a variable church, right? Uh, you have to do this, this, and this, right, to be saved. And so this slight twisting become another gospel. And so Paul has to clearly point that out. Um, and, you know, I think in a lot of ways it's, that stuff is pretty clear to us, right? But we've got to remember, too, there's others that it's not. And we need to have compassion on those people. That there's people that have been led astray, um, and we got to remember where maybe we came out of, right? That that if we if we remember what we came out of, then we are able to have uh, compassion and understanding to those that are still in it, right? And it gives us tr it gives us a true uh, relatability for those folks. But I think on the other side of the token, you know, for us, uh, there's a great danger for us 
and I kind of was hinting at it earlier, that we can put this yoke on other people of what you ought to be as a Christian, right? And that ought to be is not founded in this freedom that we're called to, right? And this isn't saying that if someone's in blatant sin, you don't correct them or you don't address the issue. What it's saying is that you have some picture of what you should be and you're constantly, as he says later on, beware lest you be consumed one by another in verse 15, that you're picking apart the failures of other people and pointing them out to try to make them into what you think they should be. Right? And this is real danger in ministry. You know, I've been, in, I've been involved in youth ministry for, since I was in youth group myself, right? So since I was in like 15 years old or 14 years old, I was involved in youth ministry in some fashion, right? And, uh, or in young, ministering to young people. And through those years, what I found, <clears throat> whether it was in college where, you know, there's a lot of people kind of you see that each other is, is equals, but you're, you're serving the Lord together and you're trying to achieve the work of the Lord. But what can happen is you, you, you can kind of make it like you're more than you are, right? And then you want other people to be at that standard. Or when you're minister, we, you know, we do youth group here. Or I did the junior high, that's where I met Lisa, and, and we started to date in uh, junior high ministry here at the church. Um, you can kind of have this thing, like you want the kids to be a certain way, right? Uh, you want them to be excited about the Lord. You want them to be, uh, you know, reading the Bible all every day. Uh, you want them to, you know, sort of not be part of the sinful things of the culture. And that's all fine. But when you put that yoke upon them in such a way that they can't live up to it, what happens is they may live up to it for a while, but then they, they, they fall short and then they just give up completely. And we've seen that, unfortunately. And, and I mean, we've had... A lot of kids go through the youth groups here over the years. Um, but where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. And so we, we, the real way to do it is to rely on the Holy Spirit to do that inner work, where we don't have to conform people to what we think they should be, but the Lord does it. And I think, um, you know, it takes prayer. It takes uh, seeing the Lord work is, is a thing. It's a labor of love. It's like you... You get opportunities to minister to people, but you can't always, you know, you can't always see the outcome right in front of you. You know, it's like a slow process. And so you, you plant seeds, you labor, you try to uh, pray and hope that the things you're teaching them are getting through. And that, that, that doesn't just apply to youth ministry. It applies to all ministry in general. And any, anything that we want to do, whether it's the ministry of ministering to an individual that doesn't know the Lord, or it's the, indiv the individual that's maybe struggling, and it seems like they're never going to get out of that thing that they're struggling with. We need the Lord to do the work in them. And we may be a vehicle. We may share a word and not even realize it that ministers to that person, but it's a work of the Lord, and we need to trust that work. And I find that oftentimes dis dis uh, it's despite me where the Lord works, despite my efforts, despite my un understanding it that the Lord works in people. And I thank him that he gives, he gives us opportunity to be a part of it. <clears throat> and Paul also says here in verse 
11, he says, I, brethren, I still preach circumcision. Why do I still suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. And I wanted to bring this out because that offense of the cross is something that we need to understand as well. It's like Paul is, what he's saying here is, you know, if I, if this, if what the message you heard after I left is the same as what I'm preaching, that you're to be circumcised again, then why in the world am I facing all this persecution? The persecution Paul faced was not a result of him preaching that you got to be like, uh, you know, you got you to do the law and you got to be circumcised. That wasn't why he was persecuted. He was persecuted because the cross was an offense to people. And it was an offense to people along the lines of an innocent man died in our place. Well, I'm a pretty good person. Why would an innocent man need to die in my place? That doesn't make any sense. As long as you see yourself as a pretty good person, then you're going to think you don't need a Savior. But once you realize that you fall short of the glory of God, that, and this is the Holy Spirit again that does this work in our hearts to show us our sin, he makes us aware of this sinfulness that's way deeper than you know, the outward stuff, as I mentioned earlier. It's, it's that our very natures are corrupted. And that often we do things because of self. And so the offense of the cross is the self has to die. right? And so when, when Peter pre- preached this message to the Pharisees and the, and the Sadducees, the leaders of his day in Acts chapter 5, it says that they were cut to the heart and then they wanted to kill them. right? So they got convicted and then they wanted to kill them. So anytime you preach the cross and teach people about Christ, there's always the possibility that they're going to be offended and maybe kill you. <laughs> it depends on where you are. <laughs> Thankfully, uh, in this country, there's a little bit more openness to what we'll call new ideas. <laughs> but that's not the case in other countries. Sometimes you preach and your life is in danger. Uh, Joe, um, Joe Kuhn, who came with us to Africa, has a uh, a friend, his name is Isaac, and he joined us on our trip. He's from Kenya, and he, so he lives next door to Uganda in Kenya, and he joined us. And in Kenya, um, you know, they would go to mosques and they would preach the gospel, and sometimes there would be danger in doing so, but not all Islam is created equal. <laughs> in some places, Islam is very, very extreme, and so we were ta- talking about doing that. There was a mosque near where we were, but this particular sect of Islam was pretty radical, and all the people were like warning us, don't go in there, don't go in there. You're going you're gonna to get killed. <laughs> um, so we didn't go. <laughs> Paul, Paul would have went. <laughs> um, we were submitting ourselves to the local ministry, you know. When Paul, Paul was a uh, trailblazer, he didn't have to submit himself. He was the first one. So, <laughs> um, They were kind of a really off, uh, not, a, not a common branch of Islam, and so they were really extreme, supposedly. So once we heard that, we were like, okay, uh, we'll pray about it, but, you know, see what the Lord does. <laughs> Um, but, you know, that the, the cross is an offense, and I think we've we got to continually remember that. So, because there's always this fear in us 
when we share the Lord that we're going to be rejected, right? And I think um, we just got to kind of suck it up and deal that rejection is part of the deal, all right? Rejection is part of the message. Christ was rejected, and it's not always that the me- that that rejection is going to last, right? Paul himself rejected, 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 even killed Stephen. He was responsible there. Um, he eventually accepted, right? So the seeds of God's word do not return void, and people have to, and and so. The danger for us is to trust in methods and mechanisms to which people get saved rather than the relationship that we have with the Holy Spirit to lead us. And, uh, you know, I've fallen into that trap. Sometimes I kind of think, rationalize it too much, and and it holds me back because of the fear, like, oh, they're just going to reject it, they're just going to reject it, because of the fear of rejection. But sometimes it's good to get a healthy dose of rejection because then you just get kind of nullified to it, and you're just like, you know, especially when you taste people receiving it, it's like I'll I'll suffer that rejection to see people receive Christ anytime, right? Um, and we got to be reminded too what we came out of because we were delivered from the bondage, right? It's like people still are slaves to sin, whether they realize it or not, and we have a message of hope. But he goes on here, and. Um, he then emphasizes to them that, and he mentioned it earlier, it's faith working through love, that the law can never justify us. Uh, but he says in verse three, 13, For you, brethren, have been called to this liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love one serve one another. Um, And then he says in verse 14, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So we can think of, you know, being free from the law in one sense that it's a great blessing, right? We've been freed from that slavery of living up to the, the letter of the law. But at the same time, it's not an occasion to the flesh, right? So what does that mean? What does it mean for, to not give occasion to the flesh? Well, we'll see that in this walking in the spirit section. But he says that it's, it's uh, the opposite of that is to walk in love, right? Love one towards another. Uh, so the opposite of giving occasion to the flesh is the, the love that we would have. And so, for example, you know, like, it's important to remember what it, that means, right? Like what it means to love one another, because <clears throat> you know the free love of the '60s is not the love that he's talking about, right? The free love of the '60s was sort of was really a selfishly motivated thing. It was, it was, you know, yeah, peace, man, <laughs> and. It, <laughs> I'm having flashbacks. You know, my dad came out of that, and he had all these old videos, right? And, like, what is it? Like, uh, what is the film they used to use? I don't even know. That's, like, pre-me, right? <laughs> um, but they had all these old videos with them as these long hairs, right? <laughs> guys with long hair and, and hippies. And some of you guys actually lived through this. Um, 
but you know, my, my dad came out of that, and he was like one of those guys that followed the grateful dad around, and, and the Lord saved him, you know, out of that. And, uh, but the whole attitude there was actually a, a very selfishly motivated thing, right? Free love was really me getting lost, right? Um, and getting what I want. So whatever I want to do, you know, I do. But that's not what the love he's talking about. The love, see, and this is it. We need to be calibrated to the word of God because although the law, we're not bound by the letter of the law, the law teaches us. It teaches us clearly what values God has and where the line is and how our hearts fall short and that it brings us to brokenness. And so... You want to know what love is? Look at Jesus' life. Read about what love is, as Paul stated it in 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind, love is never jealous nor envious nor boastful nor proud. It doesn't demand its own way. right? Love isn't a free, free love thing of selfish lust. It's, <clears throat> it's actually a selfless, agape love, a love that isn't conditioned upon the response and so we need to be calibrated to what the word says. It's not just, even in walking in the spirit, as we're going to read that, we need to be calibrated with what that means. Um, and so in order to fulfill all the law and to live that life, Jesus, you know, the Lord said that he would write the law upon our hearts in Jeremiah, and then he quoted it in Hebrews, and that this new covenant that we'll be a part of it's going to become part of who we are. We're going to want to do these things. That's what it means when it says it's going to write it upon our hearts. Um, and so if you want to fulfill the law, love your neighbor. Love God. And if you do those things, you will fulfill all the law. And you, as you read through the Ten Commandments, you'll see they either relate to loving God or loving your neighbor. Right? The first, I think it's the first four commandments relate to loving God and the, the remainder relates to loving your neighbor. But there's a danger for us, too, that although we'll be free from the letter of the law, that we could be brought under bondage of the flesh. And so he talks about this, walk in the Spirit, in verse 16, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And, and there's, a, there's a battle it says in verse 17, For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. And, you know, when it talks about walking in the spirit, there's a, the Holy Spirit dwells within us. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. He, he leads us. And there's promptings for us to see and understand. As I mentioned, he leads us into all truth. And sometimes he uses individuals. Sometimes he uses our own personal reading of the word of God. Uh, but oftentimes he uses truth to show us and to lead us. And so we need to come to recognize the promptings of the Holy Spirit. And walking in the Spirit is obeying those promptings every day. I was walking around the loop at the YMCA yesterday kind of I was going back you know it's nice because you can check your kids in and go study the Bible 
um, because you know they they got that child watch there. You know, you pay a lot of money to to get that, but uh, you know. So I did some walking, kind of to show that I did some exercise. <laughs> no, but I wanted to pray, and I was walking around this loop, and it was just thinking about walking in the spirit. You know, and uh, you know, it's like walking for them too. In those days, it was like you had to walk everywhere, right? I mean, you may ride a horse if you were privileged, or you may ride a donkey if you're a little less privileged. <laughs> uh, but uh, you would go about everywhere, walking where you would go. And it's this idea of going to and fro throughout everywhere. And, and so walking in the Spirit is to and fro everywhere, obeying those promptings of the Holy Spirit as truth comes to bear. And we need the Holy Spirit, and that's what I mentioned earlier, we need the, the Holy Spirit to prompt others uh, into truth. Because, And we were talking about yesterday, Ray said, you know, the, sometimes the word can harden people, right? If you give the word, and, but the Holy Spirit is the one who takes that word and brings it and applies it to the heart in such a way that's irresistible. You know, it's like, I, I need to respond to that. And so for us as believers... The more that we yield to that prompting and that leading of the Holy Spirit, the less we're going to be in bondage to that old man, that old nature. And that's what it's saying here. And so it's very important that we learn to walk in the Spirit because the danger is, like the slaves who were set free but had it pretty good, who would want to go back into slavery, not realizing that although it would be hard for a time, it would be so much better to be free eventually, whether it was even not even for themselves, but for their children, that the freedom that they received has great value. You know, and we, we're, remember, there's many people in this country who are willing to give their lives for freedom. I mean, that's oftentimes why, the, why people join the military. They want to defend this country. And in defending this country, you're defending what it stands for. Um, and, you know, there were many African Americans at the time during slavery who wanted to fight in the North for these beliefs, but they were prevented from doing so up to a point. And then they were included, and then they showed great valor, right? You guys maybe have seen that movie Glory, right? That was what that was about. Um, but for those slaves who were set free but had it pretty good, now they have this newfound freedom. There's this danger of wanting to go back. And I think we can look at the world and think, oh, it's so great, right? And even when you become a believer, it can get hard. It can get difficult. because there's, And that's what happened with the Hebrew believers in the book of Hebrews. They wanted to go back because they were getting persecuted. And when they would tend to go back, the persecution would stop. But it's better to be free. Uh, in the long term benefit is true freedom and so for us to give occasion to the flesh there's always this danger of going back and to be in bondage and sin is a cruel master and you know Jesus even said him that sins is a slave to sin and so we need to learn to walk in the spirit and to be free from the bondage of sin and I mentioned this too the, the Holy Spirit leads us and he helps us to walk but we need the word to help clarify what that looks like. We need to see Jesus' life to help clarify what that looks like. And so he, said, he starts to iterate. These are the works of the flesh. These are the works of the Spirit. And he contrasts those things so that you can, or the, the fruit of the Spirit. 
he contrasts those things so you can clearly see. The life that's led about by the Spirit, this is looks, what it looks like. The life that's led about by the flesh, this is what it look, looks like. And so he says this in verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adul- ad- adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness. These are all sexual sins. And then he goes on, idolatry, sorcery, or the word pharmakeia, which is where we get pharmacy from, and that's like, it was really witchcraft with potions, and those things had a hallucinatory effect on people, just like drugs of today. Um, And he goes on and he says, uh, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, these are like the pride of life, you know. These things arise because of our pride and our self-will and, you know, um, our desire to do what we want and to to make known our will upon the the, the world around us. Um, and then envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So for the world who are bound in those things, whether blatantly, obviously, or internally, those people will not inherit the kingdom of God. Uh, Those who practice. And the idea of practice isn't someone who maybe falls into this, but it's habitual, you know, this is who I am, this is my identity sort of thing. Um, But it could be even hidden, right? And that's, that's important. And the gospel clearly says that, that in, in the gospel is towards the Gentile who blatantly sins outwardly, you know, the gross idolatry of the Gentile world that was known in that time, or the Jewish person, right, who upheld the law but fell short. And so he says, you know, it's kind of the, the idea is why would you continue in those things and, and if those are the very things that God says you will not inherit the kingdom of God for. Those are the things that prevent people from, from being a part of God's kingdom. And, you know, an eternal God, this is always something to keep in mind. An eternal God who's eternally good and blessed us with eternal blessings, right, and goodness towards us and made us, created us, gave us the right to, to be alive, when Adam and Eve sinned against them, they sinned eternally against him, right? They broke that, uh, they broke his commandment, and they offended a perfect, holy God. And they were perfect and holy, but they were then, they, they were uh, defiled. They, were sin- they became sinful, and then that was passed on to us. Um, and I know you guys know that. But it's important to, to emphasize it because it's like, you know, we think of, sometimes we think sin is unjustly punished, but we offended eternal God eternally, right? And so uh, eternal judgment is the only righteous judgment for an eternal offense. Like, basically what Adam and Eve did is saying, I don't need you, God. I can be God without you, right? And they, Eve was deceived, but Adam did it willingly. And we do that in any of our forms of sin. We're basically doing the same thing. We're saying, God, I don't need your rules. I don't need your authority. I'm going to do it my way. Um, And, you know, we can do that in ignorance, like not even realizing it, or we can do it blatantly. 
But while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, right? So thankfully, he made us a way. But in contrast to that, he says the fruit, verse 22, of the Spirit, and this is, again, to show us what it looks like, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There's no law against these things. You can do them whenever you want, right? Which is the Lord Jesus. That's the way he lived. He was doing these things all the time. And he lived a life that revealed what this looks like. And, you know, C.S. Lewis talked about in Mere Christianity what we ought to be, right? He constantly, he was talking about that. This, there's this law within us, what we ought to be. Within society, everyone knows this ought to be. It's like you ought, like murder, right? Everyone knows it's wrong. And C.S. Lewis really calls that out in a very uh, reasonable way, so it's very obvious and clear and just makes sense, right? Common, it's almost like it's brought to common sense. Um, and, you know, apart from Christ, this ought to is so unachievable. But in Christ, he gives us these desires to love people like he loved people, where it doesn't, it's not born in and of ourselves, you know? It's, it's a selfless thing. And, you know, in some ways, it's easy to do with, like, your kids to love in a selfless way. Um, but even that, you know, even those things sometimes can be pride, right? We want our kids to look a certain way so that we look a certain way. We're not really loving them the way that God loves us, where he's trying to get us to look like the image of his son, right? The image of his son is what? It's not, like, flaunting, Right? It's not for other people to, it's not to be flaunted in the face of other people. It's just this is who you are. People know it when that's who you really are. You don't have to flaunt it. Flaunting it, what, you know, trying to make your kids a certain way, and then flaunting it for others to see, it's just, even though you could be done in a certain amount of love as well, but it, it's pride. It's like, and we need to face those things, right? Um, there's no law against the true love, which is to see your kids like Jesus, right? And to do it in a humble way, right? To see God work in them, like I was talking about with me ministering to the kids in the youth group. There's a, that's even harder with our own kids, right? Because it's like, you know, you want to shake them. You know, my, my son keeps putting his finger in his mouth and going like this, right? I can't get him to stop, no matter how much he, and he's getting infections and, uh, uh, Impedigo, or however you pronounce that, it's like because uh, he keeps doing it. It's like all that bacteria is building up there, and it's like I can't get you can't get him to stop. You just got to kind of hands off. And I know that's going to get worse as he becomes a teenager, right? He starts to make decisions for himself. That's going to be even harder because you can see them going down a path that leads to destruction. And what do you do? You love them, you know, and you trust that God's going to work in them. And you hope, and, and our hope is in Christ faith working by love, you know. Um, <clears throat> and so if we live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. Oh, I'm sorry, verse 24. Those who are who have are Christ have crucified the flesh with his affections and desires. We have to be reminded almost on a daily, if not on a daily basis, that our flesh has to die because it's going to bring us back into the bondage of slavery to give into it. And I'm so thankful, you know, to be able to come here and hear the word on a regular basis because it, it just calibrates us back. You know, we need to hear it from other people. We need to be in it on our own. 
and we need the Holy Spirit to convict us where our flesh has started to rise up and we're starting to fulfill. And sometimes it's our wives. Sometimes our wives show us, you know, um, they speak to us and say, you know, your flesh is, uh, is getting out of control here, right? And it convicts us and it brings us, or maybe it's our husbands, or, um, you know, flip case. <laughs> Uh, but to the the only the only thing for the flesh is to die, right? So we we have to mortify the flesh, and you know. So whether it's the old man, the sinful nature, or whether it's the bondage of the law, and trying to live up to that and put that on other people, either of those things, it's all the same. It's all the old man, right? Living up to the law apart from Christ, is our own righteousness, which what does the Bible call? Filthy rags. It's, it doesn't add up to anything. It falls so short of what the true thing God wants for us because it's all bound in selfishness. Or whether it's the sinfulness of self-will, you know, and doing what we want, both of those things have to come to the cross and die. And Jesus Christ, thankfully, he... He paid the penalty on our on our behalf, and he and he took on, and so we can receive his righteousness, and so there's a wonderful thankfulness that comes from that, right? There's a wonderful blessedness that comes from walking in the Spirit, where we recognize that that old man is done, and now we can be led and live by the Spirit. And what happens with all of us when we do it collectively? There's a freedom, and people can see it. It's like tangible, and you know, you come into church. And a person shares how they've been delivered from this or that, and, and you didn't do anything, and yet you had been praying, for, except for pray for it. You know, you didn't tell them anything. God just did it in their lives. And when that's happening in such a collective way, that's like the beginning of revival, you know. That's what we would consider revival. And, when, and then as the church does it, the unbelieving world sees it, and they see the, um, that it's true and real, and they want it, and it brings them to a jealousy, wanting that same thing, and it's unhypocritical, and they get saved because it witnesses to their hearts of who Jesus is. And, and so that's what I wanted to encourage you this morning with. So let's pray, and, and we'll finish up here. Father, thank you for, for your word and for this chapter that gives us such a clear picture of uh, the, what it means to walk in the Spirit. Help us to do that, Lord as we live in the, this world, Lord, to go about our daily lives with the Holy Spirit as our lead, as our example, and as our teacher. And Lord, we're, we're thankful that you've been so gracious with us when even though we've sometimes given in to the flesh, you give us opportunity after opportunity, Lord. And as David said, create in me a clean heart, Lord. And take not thy Holy Spirit from me, Lord. Uh, Lord, his heart, he wanted to be where you were. And he wanted to be uh, right with you. And we want to be that. We thank you that you give us the cleansing power of your blood, Lord. And you see us as righteous in Christ. And uh, we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.